Hi listeners and welcome to our coronavirus series of Reasonable and Necessary. I'm your host, Dr. George Teleporis, and I'm from the Summer Foundation. We all have a role to play in getting through this pandemic. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, stay at home. These are things that we all need to do. On top of that, we need to work out how to get the support that we need in a way that is safe. We don't have all the answers, but we are here to help you through it. Please remember that we can't provide medical advice. Talk to your doctor for that. Or call the National Coronavirus Info Line on 1-800-020-080 or visit health. On today's podcast, we're talking to support coordinator and disability rights activist, Kelly Cox, about how she is preparing herself, her organisation, and her clients for the coronavirus pandemic. Kelly's organisation took action early and implemented some innovative changes to keep both staff and clients safe. This interview was recorded on the 28th of March, when the situation started getting serious in Australia. Joining me now is Kelly Cox, a support coordinator for Karina & Co, based in northern New South Wales. She's one of the key people responsible for the organisation's coronavirus pandemic response. This is also part of the admin team for the hugely popular Facebook group, NDA's Grassroots. And to top it all off, Kelly is a wheelchair user and an NDA's participant. Welcome to the show, Kelly. How are you going? Hi, George. Thanks for having me. Um, how am I going? That's it's such a such yeah, such a big question um, at the moment that I'm I'm not sure how to answer it. It's um it, it's scary times. It's there's a lot of things going on for a lot of people and a lot of um you know things to don't know what's going to happen and how things are going to. So scared. I think the um to summarise all of that, I'm. I'm 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 worried and I'm scared and I'm not sure what the future holds. It's a very uh, unsettling time for a lot of us, especially if you have a disability and if you rely on other people for support. Now, I'm really interested in hearing about your organisation and what you have done as a service to prepare yourselves, personally yourselves, for the pandemic. Yeah. So we, we, we feel like we're as prepared as we could be. We've, we've been monitoring and watching and, and, you know, and having conversations for, you know, since the outbreak in China about what, um, we assumed that this was going to happen in Australia, so we we've been talking probably since January about you know how how are we going to manage this and support people and, and what will happen. So 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 what that looked like for us on a practical sense is lots of mapping 
our, you know, you know, the people that we provide support coordination for, looking at, you know, how many different providers does that person use and, you know, what what activities do they do and what, you know, parts of the community are they involved in and, and kind of looking at the risk levels for all of those things. So, you know, we know lots of disabled people go 10-pin bowling each week, so that was one of the things where we went, well, you know, that's feeling a little bit more gross now because, you know, you've, you've got balls that lots of people are touching. So look, looking at that stuff so that when it, when it came time to, um, I guess, progress through our pandemic plan where we started, you know, talking to people and recommending that, you know, maybe let's look at other activities, um, we were ready and we'd thought about that on a, practical sense we've we've you know made contact with people who we know use consumables so continence products or or you know feeding products or you know sleep apnea masks or anything like that where people might need to regularly make orders um and we recommended that you know what why don't we put an order in you know early how you know, how much stock have you got now how long will that last and if it was something that, you know, in, in a month or six weeks they were going to need to order again, we said, well, let, let's put the order in a little bit early to, to make sure that you've got that supply because we, we anticipated that there would be international supply disruptions. You know, I, I think we're, we're seeing that now and that combined with perhaps some, some panic buying and, and people stocking up becoming quite tricky for, for people to buy those products. So, yeah, certainly that, you know, six weeks ago we were recommending people do that has been a really helpful thing for the people that we support um, and hopefully we'll avoid, you know, one aspect of, of distress of, of the, the many struggles that, that we're experiencing and are about to experience over the coming months. But so there are a couple of things there, Kelly. Talk about uh, risk and looking at people's risk. Um, and you also talked about um, supplies and, and also looking at the activities that people are doing in terms yeah. of risk. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested maybe in breaking that down a bit. So um, when it comes to being a support coordinator, and there are probably a few support coordinators listening, what do you think people need to be doing differently or better when it comes to looking at risk and and planning in terms of risk? I, I think it's looking, um, you, you know, we're, we're quite small, so we, I think, have um, a, a certain level of privilege where we've got really great relationships with all the people that we work with um, and we 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 know their lives quite well because because we've we've built those relationships and we're a small town so often you know people know each other regardless of whether you you work with someone or not so 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 looking at in, yeah individual people and and talking to them about well you know are you know are you still working um or studying or do you still go to the men's shed or you know, whatever it is that they might be involved in. Um, and so then looking at each one of those things individually. So if somebody um, volunteered at 
a particular place and we'd look at, well, you know, what, what happens in that location? What, what safety precautions is that particular place or organisation, what have they got in place and are they, you know, talking about social distancing and are they changing their practices? And from, and from there you, you, you've just kind of got to feel your way through it, I think. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago it, it was, you know, probably not as big a risk to do some things that as we, we see, and particularly in New South Wales, we've, we've got so many confirmed cases here that I think the risk just increases, you know, daily and, and terrifyingly. So looking at, well, if somebody's doing group-based supports and it, it looks like it might be something that's in a higher risk category, are there alternatives to that? And talking to people about, well, you know, what, helping them understand, you know, what is going on and, you know, what coronavirus is and what that might mean, um, you know, for them and the wider community because we want to, you know, we want people to be safe and safety precautions for themselves but also the people around them, that that we're not, you know, unnecessarily contributing to people being exposed unnecessarily and then offering – alternative support so you know would you like us to talk to your provider about rather than going you know to the day program or to whatever you know bowling or whatever the the group based um thing it might be about how about some one-on-one support where we go and do something that's a little bit safer and that doesn't necessarily have to be um alone it might be with a friend um but yeah just minimizing that risk let's let's you know, wherever possible, not do large group activities in unsafe environments, um, but making sure that people don't lose out on support in the process. Like we, you know, I don't think anybody at the moment wants to see anybody lose support. I think it's just around helping people make um, informed choices about risk and, and what those activities are and work to keep everybody is safe as possible. I think that's really useful advice in, in terms of looking for alternatives. I'd like to pick up on what you said there about uh, people who uh, might be at risk of losing support. And I'm talking about that in the context of a workforce where people may no longer feel safe providing services or they may feel um, unwell and not be able to come into work. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are support coordinators needing to do to respond to this? It's a really tricky question. Um, as, I know, it's why I'm asking as, it. <laughs> yeah, because as, as we all probably know, there's, there's not a lot of guidance coming either from the government or the NDIA or NDS or any of the places where um, we might expect to be getting guidance, even around things like what is essential versus non-essential disability support because people might think that sometimes that's a really easy, you know, well, let's just cancel all the social support because that's not essential. It's, you know, it doesn't relate to... um, you know, keeping people alive, but but actually in some cases if you remove that 
um, social support where there, where there is a social uh, support worker or a mentor or somebody helping somebody to make safe choices and informed choices about, you know, what should we do today? The risk is that people will jump in a taxi or they'll walk down to the shopping centre or to the movie theatre um, on their own because they're bored and at home and they're, they're sick of being locked up at, at home. So people need to really be thinking about the consequences of, um, you know, if a service provider decides that social support is no longer an essential support, what might that mean for some people? Because we're certainly worried about that, that, you know, people who, who can leave their house independently and jump in a taxi or go and visit a friend, they're actually more at risk when you remove that support. So that's that's one thing that, that we certainly are talking to people about um, and looking at the, the alternatives. So if a, if a support person cancels because they've decided not to work anymore because you know, they're not feeling safe or they're at increased risk or have a family member at increased risk, which is really common in the disability sector. There's a lot of um, carers that work in the sector and there's a lot of, um, you know, disabled people, not quite enough, but, you know, we're here and we're working in the sector. So there's there's a lot of people who are at increased risk um, due to the impact of coronavirus. So because of that, I've noticed a, a reduction in, in the people who are available to provide support. And and I, I get really conflicted around what what is the best way forward with that. Um, we're, we're, again, we're, we're a small area, so there's lots of relationships and um, providers know each other. So it's possible to find you know, which other provider is doing good work and are taking all the safety precautions that they should be taking at this time and which ones aren't, very importantly, um, and connecting people with those wherever that's um, a possibility. Um, and, and then looking at the, you know, maybe the irregular support where there's um, maybe some contractors and sole traders who might be able to do a trip to the supermarket um, we, as an organisation, we, in addition to support coordination, we also provide some direct services. Um, that's been a bit of a um, benefit in this current situation because people who might be having trouble, um, you know, perhaps they're using a different service provider who the worker said, I, you know, I can't take you to the shops anymore because I don't feel safe at the shopping centre, which is you know, I, I understand that. We've introduced a program where we have a dedicated um, person who goes shopping three times a week and will deliver food to people's door. So we we don't have multiple staff members in and out of a shopping centre and people who are feeling fearful of those high-risk environments also don't need to go to the, to the shops if they don't want to either. They can just get it delivered to their door, which which has been really successful given the issues that we're having with, um, you know, Woolworths and Coles deliveries and the, the you know, 7 o'clock in the morning um, time slot where you're supposed to be able to get to the supermarket where we know that that's not possible for a lot of people and 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 tricky for those who can do it. So That's a, that's a really responsive uh, initiative. I'm thinking, though, and I, I, I commend it. I'm thinking though that there are 
possibly some support coordinators who are listening who are saying or thinking, hang on, that's not my job, I'm not at Korea. Um, why would I do that? Yeah, so, so those support coordinators could absolutely be looking for um, the providers who would be doing that stuff, though. So one of the things that I've very keenly been doing is every time I see an email come in through my inbox from another provider or somebody that I support says, oh, you know, I got an email from such and such provider, I, you know, I'll say, would you mind forwarding that to me so that I've got a good feel for, um, you know, what's going on in the local area and, and what are different providers doing um, to be adaptive to the current situation to make sure that support continues as much as possible and that people are kept safe as much as possible and including staff because the last thing that we need is support workers to all get sick because we've sent them all to the shopping centres and because um, we're the ones that will suffer for that. We, we won't have the staff availability that we need to continue doing the, the really essential things that keep us alive. And I, I think that's really important because um, this isn't like anything we've experienced before. And with all the, all the rules in place, they were, they were in place in a different kind of uh, situation. Suddenly, we need to look at those rules and say, well, maybe some of those rules need to be looked at from a, a risk perspective. And, and if you are able to support someone to survive through the pandemic, then maybe we, we can do things a little bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. So... You know, do people need to be going to the supermarket? You know, and we've also got to keep in mind that, you know, so many people with disability do live in poverty and below the poverty line. So being able to do a grocery shop that will last you, you know, a few weeks just, you know, to stock up as per, you know, the advice, it's just not possible. So often... You know, people might go to the shop multiple times a week to buy, you know, just the, the bare essentials that they need at that time. So, you know, everybody, no matter who they are, has to change their habits and the way that they live right now. And that becomes even more complicated when you start factoring in other layers, you know, like poverty um, and, you know, and, and disability and your ability to, you know, to access transport or to access the support that you need, it's, it starts getting really complicated. So as support coordinators, we really need to be thinking through, you know, as much as possible all of those scenarios. I, I think that, again, I have an advantage because I, I, I'm a wheelchair user, so I experience all those barriers myself. So every time I hit a barrier, I, I kind of go, all right, let's, Let's, you know, apply this situation to, to different people and different kinds of disabilities and see what solutions might be, you know, possible for that. Um, but, you know, for people who don't have that lived experience, I think that sharing information and sharing resources right now is really important. So I certainly have been 
sharing ideas and things that we're doing online at the moment. We also shared our, our complete organisation pandemic plan to any organisations who could use that to build their own. Um, you know, we know that Sam Payer at the Growing Space is sharing lots of things all the time. So that resource sharing amongst other providers, it's, it's not the time, to, you know, to be competitive and worry about your intellectual property and, you know, worry about that somebody's going to take your idea and make it your own. Now, now is the time for all of those things to happen and, and hopefully by doing that we, we, we literally save lives because that's what, that, that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to, you know, we, we are an incredibly high-risk group um, for the virus and for the severity of the symptoms, but also at the peak of this, whether or not we'll get medical treatment. So I, I think that, you know, if support coordinators and providers and the sector as a whole thought about it in terms of that we're, we're trying to save lives, then, you know, hopefully that works and that is something that we, we collectively do as a sector. Can we talk about that, Kelly? Can we talk about that? We talk about prevention, but I'd like to talk about what happens if you do come into contact or become infected with coronavirus. Um, we know that the the health system has historically been challenged, to put it in a nice way, mm-hmm. um, by people with disabilities. Um, what do you think support coordinators need to be doing now in order to prepare people who may end up infected? I, I, I again, it's it's so hard to know the answers, you know, with any clarity um, to any of the the situations. One of the things that, as an individual, I um, intend to do and, and something that I've, I've mentioned people do online is to, you know, have a, have a one-pager of, of information which might be, um, you know, your, your, some of your medical history, what your diagnoses are, um, you know, what medication you take and what for and, and at what frequency. Um, and, and one of the things, and, and it's really heartbreaking to even suggest that people do it, but I've also said, you know, and, and at the bottom Write some stuff about you, you know, remind, remind, you know, the medical profession that might be looking at about your humanity, you know, that you are, you know, a, a son or a brother or a sister or a daughter or a parent or this is what you do for work or, you know, you've, you've got, you know, dogs at home that are dependent on you and children, and, you know, whatever it might be, whatever it might be that, you know, reminds those people that, People with disability, you know, we are people. We do live, you know, full lives and our lives are valuable um, and as valuable as anybody else's. Um, to, yeah, when, when you're putting together that crucial information, you may, may just put something at the bottom that reminds people that, that you, you know, you're, you're just as worthy as anybody else of, of equal treatment, which is, yeah, like I said, a heartbreaking thing to even be suggesting to people. But I don't know... I don't know what else we might, you know, we, we can do in the event that that we end up in situations like Italy where they're having to make decisions around whose life holds more value. Um, I don't certainly, we know, as you said, historically 
you know, I, I rock up to the hospital and they see a wheelchair user um, and that might be all that they see about me. They don't see, you know, the 15-year-old child at home and the pets and the husband and, you know, the job and, you know, all the people that I support as part of my work and that, you know, the, the fullness of my life and that, and that you know, we apply that to everybody and the importance um, of their lives for them and for the people around them. We, you know, how, how do we convey that to people who might not know they don't only see us as a diagnosis? Do you think that people can also talk to their, their GPs or uh, specialists now and say, let's, let's think about the worst case scenario. What, what things might I need to prepare for or think about? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, if, if, if people can get appointments with their GP, I, I'm personally having trouble with that on a local level. Our GP has closed their doors and they are flat out with telehealth. Um, so, so for us in my house, and my, my husband's also a wheelchair user, um, we're, we're having lots of trouble right now, even getting basic um medical care. I, I asked for a referral from my husband to community nursing. He's a paraplegic who unfortunately has an open pressure wound at the moment and I couldn't the, the GP told me to go to the emergency room. I was like, well but it's not an emergency. Like we this is something that we deal with all the time as disabled people. We we need a referral to community nursing. Um so there are some there's already some barriers that I'm seeing um, in accessing just regular day-to-day healthcare, um, which really worries me about what what might be coming. Um, but absolutely, people who have who you know who have got good GPs and specialists to absolutely be having conversations with them around what they could be doing personally to um, reduce their risk, and that might be you know, reviewing what medication they're on and are any of those medications likely to make them more susceptible to, you know, severe um, impact if they, if they are exposed to coronavirus. Um, it might be, you know, what do, what do the hospital staff need to know? So um, for people with my, I've got muscular dystrophy, so anaesthetic can often be an issue for people with, at least my specific type of muscular dystrophy. Um, so all of that information and having that on that one pager to, you know, please don't, you know, please don't give me this type of anaesthetic or please, you know, monitor my, my oxygen levels. You know, I'm, um, people with my diagnosis are more prone to, um, you know, retaining, you know, what, what it, whatever it might be for each individual to, to have that information, to know it, be familiar with it. Lots of disabled people, um, and I think maybe it's a, a more of a people with a physical disability. Um, we don't get too focused on the medical stuff, um, so maybe learning a little bit about that, going on to you know the Muscular Dystrophy Association pages and see what they're saying um, about muscular dystrophy and coronavirus, or spinal cord injury and coronavirus, or down syndrome and coronavirus, finding out the you know the what the impact might be on on any particular person, and certainly as support coordinators, 
um, we could be looking at that information as well and making sure that the people that we support have got access and and know the increased risk um, for their particular um, diagnostic group. So we know now that people with diabetes are at a really high risk. There's a really high mortality rate for people with diabetes, which, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought um, in the early days. So knowing as a support coordinator um, as much as possible, and if you don't know, have conversations with people. You know, are, are you diabetic? Do you, know, do you have, a, you know, any heart conditions? Are you on medication for this? And helping people work through, you know, calmly and in an organised way to get all the information that they need to know um, for now and for, for, like you said, if we get down the track and somebody um, has to go to hospital, that they've, they've got all the information that those medical staff will need to be able to provide, you know, efficient and timely medical care. That's really good advice and I think that the, the most important thing is that people do talk to their, 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 their medical people in their life but also their, their family, friends and support workers and, and that everyone sits down you know, together with the appropriate social distancing mm -hmm. and, and, and works out a plan. Yeah, absolutely. And works that out with a person. In advanced care directives, have you know, lots of people maybe have avoided, um, but it might be conversations that they've had with family or support people or friends, um, but do you have something written down about what you might want the end of your life to look like? Um, wills, all of that kind of thing where I think that perhaps um, that that is a role, although it's not a support coordinator's job to, to help somebody write their will, but certainly prompting people and, and helping them identify um, where to get assistance or information about that, um, where, where to find it. Can we talk about different cognitive disabilities or or intellectual disability. Um, I, I assume you have some some uh, clients that have um, those sorts of um, impairments. Yeah. So the majority of the people. Is, what do you say is the what do you say is the main uh, struggles or, or issues, and then how can support coordinators you know, help people through that? Because I imagine that. It would be very difficult for someone who, yeah, a lot of this information is very complicated, and 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 there isn't a lot of information in in easy English or in an accessible yeah. format. What 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 can support coordinators do? I think you know communicating in the way again. You know, hopefully they know the people that they support and they've they've identified, you know, and built relationships um, based on people's particular communication styles and preferences. Um, you know, we know that Sam Payer has created the Easy English version um, of coronavirus and, and what it is. Um, there's a social story at the moment and I can't remember who... It was that produced that, but I certainly could find it and send you um, a link. So there's, a, you know, there's a social story about it. I think really practical things. So one of the things 
um, when, you know, when we've been talking to people about hand washing um, and, you know, we know that, you know, wash your hands for 20 seconds um, is the recommended advice. So we, we come up with things that are equal to 20 seconds. So, you know, sing happy birthday twice or we, we might um, identify that somebody that we work with is a massive fan of a, of a particular song. Um, so we might find the chorus of that song and, you know, how long does that go for and is that 20 seconds? Um, so things like that that are a little bit fun as well and easy for people to remember um, but that also help them, um, you know, change their behaviour and, and, and new practices. And so sometimes it's really hard. Um, I, I was talking to a, a mum the other day about um, her young son who has autism um, and one of his stims is to actually rub uh, his hand on his nose. Um, so for her, she, she said, you know, there, there's absolutely no way that we're going to be able to get him to change his behaviour and stop him doing that. Um, and that would be the reality in some cases that, that you know, people won't, won't be able to change behaviour because of their disability or because they've just been doing it's really hard to stop touching your face um, and, and I can't even lift my arms up very well and I realise that I do it a hell of a lot I'm like oh, I'm lucky I, I don't have that problem, have that problem. I, yeah. I never touch my face unless my hand falls on my face <laughs> yeah so, well check, check your privilege George <laughs> um, but yeah so, so how you know how and again that's people um, around those people taking those extra safety precautions. Um, and, again, again, that's not a support coordinator's direct job, but absolutely support coordinators right now could be talking to, you know, support workers and, and family members. We know that um, Disability Services Consulting released that training and the Department of Health have also now released specific training. So sharing that with people, with family members, um, with support staff, perhaps particularly contractors who might not be getting um, the advice from the NDIS and know that you can go on the website. Um, actually, support workers as well from organisations because we don't know that management are feeding down information in the way that they need to be. So if somebody's being supported by their support worker and a support coordinator happens to be in contact with them, check in with the support worker. You know, what's going on at your workplace? Do you feel safe? You know, do, do you realise that the person that you're supporting has increased risk, you know, if, if you've got um, consent to share that kind of information? Um to make sure that everybody knows as much as possible, you know, what the risk is for people um, and how to, how to decrease that as much as possible and, and just changing their behaviour. I think one of the things that really worry me at the moment is you might have people who are doing all the right things at work um, and taking all those precautions, but perhaps when they're not at work, they're not being as safe, so they, they might still be going to places that are quite crowded. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that worries me. So we, we certainly as an organisation have spoken to, we've got four support coordinators on our team 
Um, so we've had discussions with them around, you know, what, what are you doing in your spare time? And that probably feels really unfair um, that, that we're now intruding into people's personal lives. But that's, that's the only way we keep people safe, I think, that we, we all talk about what we're doing and, and what might be a risk and getting other people's perspectives to, to realise um, what might be increasing risk for the people around us and ourselves. It's a very different world, isn't it? And um, I was thinking also about the the whole concept of social and economic participation and we were all about people being out in the community um, and suddenly it's all about coming back inside. But I guess in the meantime, while this is happening, we need to find other ways of connecting to community. Do you have any suggestions on how people can do that? Obviously, there's the, the internet that you're very much uh, used as a tool. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other ideas? Um, I think the internet, I, I think getting outside, I'm everybody in my household at the moment, today is our one-week anniversary that we have not interacted with a person outside of this, we all we all left the house last Saturday. I've been working from home for a couple of weeks, but you know would still pop to the shops quickly. And my husband was still working, and my son was still going to school. Um, so it's our one week anniversary today of not interacting with anybody else um, other than online. Um, going outside, I, I took the dog for a walk this morning um, with the. I've got a support worker living with me, and. Um, I realised that it, it had actually been a week since I'd been into an open space like that. I'd been outside into our tiny backyard, but that, yeah, that, you, you know, people were, you know, working in their driveway or their garden and you're kind of, you know, waving to their neighbours. And so so even that just tiny little bit of connection and, and a reminder that there is still a world outside of your four walls. Um, you can't interact with it in the way that you used to at this point in time. But but doing that, go, going and connecting with the things that you might normally do. We're, we're a coastal town, so we've got some beautiful beaches and we've got waterfalls and bushwalks. And I think it's an opportunity for people to maybe look at um, what's available in there. And obviously I'm not doing bushwalks or waterfall climbs, um, but what is in your area that you can connect with that you maybe haven't before? What are the new opportunities that might be um, found in in this situation? And and what can you know? What can you learn about your local community, which might then be something that you can then discuss online? It might be information sharing about you know. Did you know that um, you know this is the history for the Aboriginal people in our local area? And I learnt that because I went and. Um, did the you know I walked along the footpath that's got all the signs with the cultural stories. That's we've got that in in our area, but lots of lots of places probably have things that um, we don't know about that will then give us things to talk about. Because yes, we can all communicate online, but we're going to run out of things to talk about if we're just stuck <laughs> in our house. It's like, well, you know, I, I, I watched the dog chase its tail again today. <laughs> um, 
So that, I think that, and, and again, for support coordinators, helping, um, I've certainly over the last week or two as I've been working at home, I've been coming up, you know, what's, what's a list of things that people could do that are outside of their house um, activities that are, that, are, that are pretty low risk. Um, I've, I've gone through the garage, so I realised that we had a kite um, in the garage, so, I, so I've um, given some, some of that kind of stuff to, to my workplace to go, well, you know, maybe somebody wants to fly a kite because that, you know, it's um, something different that we don't usually think about doing and collecting shells on the beach or, um, you know, rocks to maybe do some artwork and, yeah, as support coordinators, we should be helping people come up with alternative activities um, that, that, are, that are much less risk. And then, you know, the things, the essential things like grocery shopping um, and that type of stuff as much as possible, um, reducing the need for people to do that stuff. I've decided that I'm going to learn how to um, fly a plane Oh. On my computer, so using a flight simulator. Like, these are things that I never had time for. That's a good you know, idea. I never had time to do. Like, these are, these are things that you just think about. What, what are the things that you never had time to do? All of a sudden, we're going to have a lot more time because we're, we're, in, we're in this together. Yeah. Make a list. What are your interests? And um, and go for it. Yeah. Talk to other people. Yeah, reading books, audio books. I um I downloaded Audible probably almost twelve months ago now, um and I pay this subscription every month and I get a free book with my subscription. I haven't completed one of them, <laughs> so I'm like oh, it's quite good. I might actually get to finish one of those books. Um, I couldn't hold a book and turn pages, so it's, yeah. But so audio books are, are something I'm quite looking forward to. Actually, you know, once um, the, the, my my work stuff is is pretty full on at the moment, as is everyone's, I imagine. Well, we're we're trying to get organised. We're we're also doing things like we're preempting. Um, you know, government shutdowns and what that looks like for people. So we, we've had a staff member go and install Zoom on on people who were interested's devices and give them lessons on how to use Zoom. So we, we will do a lot of um, Zoom-based stuff for support coordination um, and also some, gr some group-based stuff. So... Um, so that people who, you know, are friends and would usually connect with each other face-to-face -face, can do that as a group online um, and, ha you know, have group chats about whatever it is that we're doing and telling silly jokes or, you know, how many times the dog chased its tail today or, what you know, that stuff, really thinking about that stuff and support coordinators, you know, could be helping people to think through that stuff and connect up with it. Um, and I feel like at some point through this, we're all going to work out the true meaning of life. Like, this is the time when we're going to work out why we're here, what are we doing here, and, you know, so much navel-gazing, there's a lot of time for it. Let's, yeah. let's put that time to good use. And before we wrap up, Kelly, I just wanted to ask you, 
all of my um, guests who have disabilities about what they're personally doing mm-hmm. in their lives to reduce the risk of coronavirus. Didn't I briefly talk to us about what you've done? Yeah, sure. I, um, I two weeks ago, I had so much anxiety. I had, you know, people, multiple people coming and going from my house. Um, you know, sometimes multiple people in one day, at least one person each day. And yeah, I, I had so much anxiety that I just, I couldn't figure out how to keep myself safe, even though these were support workers who, you know, one one of them I've had for almost 10 years coming and going from my house and I, you know, I trust them and I know that they were washing their hands and doing all the right things, but there was an element of risk that just was not within their control or my control and that's that, you know, they're going in and out of other people's houses and to the shops and, and whatever else. So I, I had a family meeting and I decided that I wanted to cancel everybody from coming and and move somebody in permanently. So so we now have a support worker, so it's our one week today, um, who, who moved in with us and, and is in isolation with us for, for the duration. Um, she's being paid by my NDIS funding, so I've, I've cancelled the other supports and I'm now paying her to to run that run the household essentially you know the domestic all the domestic stuff any you know personal support I need if my husband needs some you know she'll help with that as well um it's had such a huge impact on reducing my anxiety I actually feel like I've got some control over my life and whether I'll survive um again now and I'm Kelly, I'd even thought that for people listening um, to you know, realize that we all are going to have different ways of doing this. Yeah. That there's no right or wrong way. Um, you know, there are obviously some risks in, in the approach that you're taking. Yeah. Um, you know, what happens if, you know, the, the person that's supporting you? You know, has a heart attack and dies, or correct, yep. And those, um, so I guess we all need to do what's comfortable for us. Absolutely, and and I think that what we need to do is be uh, talking to each other about what we're doing. So what I'm doing won't be possible or suitable for everybody. It, it works; it's working brilliantly for us, but that won't be the case for everybody. But you know, somebody else might be doing you know, something that works really well for them. And if they share what they're doing, it might give somebody else it's information sharing. I think we've all got to share information and strategies at the moment to help each other, you know, think about, you know, well, what could I change and what can increase my safety and and what will I do? And, and that might be talking to your support workers and saying, well, you know, how, how many other people's houses are you in and out of and, as organisations, I would hope that service providers are looking at that and limiting, how, you know, how we, we've certainly remapped for direct support um, in my work um, our staffing to make sure that we haven't got one staff member going to six different people's houses because if any one of those seven people 
um, contract coronavirus. We, we then have to isolate every single one of those people until we know. Um, so limiting risk. So as, as providers looking at, at minimising that risk, but also as, as individuals and as disabled people, um, having as much control over that process as we can and being as informed as we can so that we can make good decisions um, that do the best to protect us. I think that's a great point to end on. Thank you so much, Kelly, for your time. And I, I really want to wish you all the best and hopefully we'll see each other at the end of this. Hope so. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on to chat. It was good. And stay, stay safe. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. Thanks, George. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary. Brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, for the most up-to-date info on the coronavirus, call the Coronavirus Helpline on 1-800-020-080 or visit health.gov.au. Stay tuned for our next episode and please stay safe and remember to wash your hands.